Life was great for the first five months of Richard and Victoria's marriage. See, Richard and Victoria were the ideal Christian couple. They both had an active faith in God that started long before they ever met each other. But when they started dating, they wanted to start a relationship that would honor God and last forever. So they lived separately while they were dating and engaged. They regularly attended church together. They read their Bible together and they prayed with each other. They tried to do everything according to God's will and they wanted to honor God with all of their lives. And after, married, after being married for five months, things were going well. But five months into their marriage, things got difficult. There was no conflict between the two of them, but there was conflict happening to them, to each of them. In a short period of just a month, Richard's grandfather, who had raised him, passed away unexpectedly. The hurt was so strong that Richard's brother, who had been off of drugs for almost a decade, relapsed back into drug use. And when Richard's brother was high one day, Richard was there trying to help him, but his brother pulled out a knife and stabbed Richard right in the middle of the chest. So Richard ended up going to the hospital, and while he was there at the hospital recovering after his grandfather had passed away, after his own brother had relapsed and had stabbed him, he received news that his wife Victoria, who was, Vic pre who was pregnant, had just had a miscarriage. All of this happened in October of 2020 to that young couple. And Victoria was my assistant at one point at the last church I worked for uh, before these things happened. And as Richard was telling me about all the things that they were going through, I couldn't help but share how it was hard to hear about how one of the godliest couples, one of the nicest couples I knew was having to endure more pain and suffering than almost anybody else I had ever known. And I couldn't help but ask and wonder among myself, why would these bad things be happening to such a good and nice couple? And as a pastor, I started to privately think, even in my own mind, that I didn't share with them, why are these, there these people in the culture that I know that don't come to our church or don't, aren't involved or don't read a Bible, they don't have integrity, they are dishonest, they cheat and do whatever they can to get ahead in life. Why do they enjoy so many good things in life while this young, kind, godly couple has to go through so much suffering? And I know that this is a question you probably have asked yourself in the past. Questions like, God, I've been following you faithfully. Why does it seem like you are so far away? Or another question, why do bad things keep happening to me when I always try to do the right thing? And as a pastor, one of the questions I hear most often from people is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good, godly people? And like Richard and Victoria, Israel and Judah had bad things happening to them that we've read about in the book of Malachi. And this passage that we're going to read here in a moment describes three questions Israel asked and that we still ask ourselves even today. They ask the question of why do evil people prosper in the world? What is prepared for those evil people in the future? And lastly, how do I or how do we overcome that evil in our world? So I'm going to read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 
through chapter 4, verse 6 for us today. It starts in Malachi 3.13. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in the morning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention to it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Verse 17 reads, They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So as we end our seven week study going through Malachi verse by verse, we're kind of ending back up where we started. We started in chapter one verses one through five with that question that Israel was asking God, God, if you love us, why have you allowed bad things to happen to us? And now they're asking a similar question. Why do evil people prosper in the world? And when I see that question, why do people, evil people prosper in the world? I think you could ask it in a similar way. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or even another way, why do bad things happen to good people? They're similar questions that you could ask. And I believe the Bible teaches four reasons that bad things happen to good people. You could even say there are four reasons that good things happen to bad people. And out of these four things, uh, the last two relate specifically to Israel here in Malachi. But the first two are a little more broad. The first reason that the evil prosper is because of the fall, bad things happen. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be perfect and complete and in harmony. But when Adam and Eve ate fruit from that tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, evil entered into the world. And with that came sin and a sin nature that every single person has since birth and that affects all that we do. So that's the first reason that bad things happen 
to good people is because of the fall. Second one is because of the role of Satan in our world right now. The New Testament describes Satan as the God of this world that we live in. One passage says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And the God of this world described there is Satan. That's in 2 Corinthians 4. In 1 John 5:19, it says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And that's again describing Satan. So Satan has this position of God of this world, but he also has specific activities the Bible tells us about that cause suffering and pain for believers. In different parts of the Bible, it says that Satan's job is to tempt us and seduce us, to deceive us, falsify and counterfeit our works. It says that he is sought to destroy us, that he wants to wage a war against believers in the church. And he does that by sending false workers, thwarting God's work, sending pain and physical ailments into believers' lives through defamation and slander, as well as persecution, oppression, and martyrdom of believers throughout the New Testament. So those are the first two reasons that pain and suffering happen in our world because of the fall and because of Satan's place in the world. But the last two relate specifically to these Israelites. And it's because of the mistakes that others make sometimes cause us pain and suffering. See in Malachi 3, 16 through 18 and 4, 2 through 6, we learn about a righteous group of believers that have been faithful and obedient to God. It talks about how they feared the Lord and how they did what he said and that God gave attention to them. So even among Israel, there was a small remnant group of faithful obedient people that followed him but most of the nation did not follow God faithfully most of the nation as Malachi has documented have been disobedient to God and we saw that each week as we've gone through this book uh, we had them bringing unblemished and poor sacrifices to God as a sign that they were being disobedient. The priests were not doing what was their job descriptions. The men were divorcing their current Jewish wives and marrying younger pagan wives from other nations. And the people were not giving their tithes and offerings to God like they were supposed to do. That's what most of the nation was doing and that describes the mistakes they were making. So the remnant of faithful believers here in Malachi, they're experiencing problems that they did not cause. They're having to go through pain and suffering in the land because of the ungodly actions of other people. And that's true in our day sometimes too. Sometimes bankruptcy and health problems, divorces, broken marriages, loss of jobs and income sometimes fall on us because of the ungodly behavior of other people. A friend of mine uh, grew up with his mom and dad getting divorced when he was 10. And as his mom, which he lived with, uh, got a boyfriend that then moved into their house. And the boyfriend started to beat my friend regularly for no reason at all. So the dad finds out about it. And so my friend goes to move, live with his dad. And he learns that his dad was a, a crack addict, didn't work, would kind of get high for a day or two and then sleep for two or three days. And that was kind of the cycle that, that happened every week. So he pretty much raised himself. And as a grown adult with a family and kids, he's got this background and this trauma 
of a guy that would beat him and a dad that was never there and didn't raise him, none of those things were his fault, right? It sometimes is the ungodly actions of others that cause us pain and suffering. And the fourth reason that sometimes we experience pain and suffering is because of the mistakes that we make in our lives. Sometimes bad things happen because we've played a part in it. Something we've done or failed to do causes evil to happen to us. And that's what the nation of Israel is pretty much experiencing here. Those things I just listed were the reason that they were experiencing pain and suffering because of their disobedience to God. So the evil prosper, bad things happen to good people because of the fall, because of Satan's role in the world, because of the mistakes others make, and sometimes because of the mistakes we make. So if the evil people prosper now, we have to ask, what do evil people have prepared for them in the future? And we see that described here in chapter 4, verse 1, that says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So these arrogant people that are described here in 4.1 are the same people that were described in verses uh, 13 and 15 of chapter 3. They're called arrogant there as well. And God has future plans for them and wants to make sure that we don't miss what these future plans are for them, where he says, behold, they're very, at the very beginning. Uh, we don't use that word behold as much anymore, but it kind of means take look or notice this. Don't miss this. Take note of this. And what God wants us to notice is that these people will endure a future fire on the earth. The text says that at some point in the future, the day of judgment is coming, and verse 1, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff, and the day is coming that will set them ablaze. And there are three descriptions here about these evil people. First, the day is going to be like a burning furnace. And a fire in a furnace describes something that's very intense, but it's also controlled because it's in a furnace. So there is a specific group of people that God plans to punish in a severe way, but is also controlled. The second description here is he describes who will be punished and burnt up. He calls them all the arrogant and every evil doer. These are those self-righteous people that say they don't need God and that have claimed in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, that to serve God is pointless and worthless because nothing returns to them for their deeds. And the third description here is that this is going to be a future event where it says, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze. So this will happen in the future when they're set on fire and will be consumed by that fire. So they might be prospering now, but God has future plans for them. And that future plan is to send them to hell forever. And the Bible teaches us that hell is terrible and painful, that it will be a place of burning fire. These are some descriptions of hell I've pulled out of the Bible. It'll be a place of burning fire. It'll have a fiery furnace. It's a place of flames, a place of death and destruction. 
and it also says that it will be permanent and forever. Daniel 12.2 says that it will be a place of everlasting. Matthew 18 says that there will be this eternal fire in heaven or in hell, and they'll be there forever and ever. They'll experience eternal destruction and forever separated from God. And this means for us as believers, we should feel comforted that we're going to get to go to heaven. We don't have to worry about our performance on earth because Jesus already did the work on our behalf. The price of admission to heaven has already been paid through our faith in him. We have our ticket that says paid in full. Among all the crazy things on earth that go on, among heartbreaks and the pain that we have to endure and drudge through, we should enjoy security in our hearts that we won't be judged like unbelievers will be judged, but we'll be in heaven with our Lord forever and we'll get to join our loved ones that have already gone there that are waiting for us. So after looking at why the evil prosper and what those evil people have prepared for them, how do we overcome evil in this world today, right now? How do we overcome that evil? Starting with verse 16, the focus kind of shifts in this passage. So 13, 14, and 15, and chapter 4, verse 1, talk about these evil, wicked people. But in verse 16, it shifts to start talking about that faithful remnant of believers. Again, these are the small group of people that have been faithful in Israel. And we learn about what they did here and what Malachi is describing for us about what they did to overcome evil. And the first thing they did to overcome evil is they feared the Lord and what we should do too. We fear the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention to it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Then if you jump down to chapter 4, verse 2, it, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise and healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from a stall. So we should have a respectful fear of God. He created the universe. He knew us before we were born. He sent his son to die for us, and he invited us to be part of his spiritual family. And because of this, we have a relationship with him, and we should have fear and reverence for him for the things he's done. And when it says there in verse 16, those who feared my name, the word for fear means to revere someone or something, to give credit to or to give someone their proper respect. And we have a relationship with God, which means it's okay that we question him, right? We can cry out to God, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? That's part of our relationship we have with God. God, I'm waiting for you. Why haven't you shown up to help me? God, please deliver me from this pain and suffering. It's okay for us to cry out to God with our questions of him in this way. If you've read the book of Psalms, you know a lot of the Psalms are simply laments where people cry out in sadness and desperation to God, asking God for help. But we need to be careful that our questions don't turn into accusations against God and his character. It's okay to question him, but we need to make sure those questions don't turn into hurtful accusations against God. And in verse 16, it reminds us that we are recognized by God when we fear him and we stay the course, that God pays attention to us and he notices that. 
In verse 16 it says, And the Lord gave attention and heard it regarding the people that were fearful of him. God remembers these people's faithfulness to him. God still listens to them, he watches them, and he focuses on them even when he is punishing the whole nation of Israel. No matter what situation you might be in, at work when other people lie, steal, cheat to get their way to the top, you need to remain steady and faithful to God because he is still watching. Or when you have to be the only one that works to pay the bills in your house or the only one to discipline your kids and it's frustrating because you don't get any help, God still pays attention and notices what you're doing. And because of this small, you know, believing remnant that were there, the text says, the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. In other words, God doesn't forget their correct response to him. This was a permanent remembrance of their faithful reverence and fear of God that God keeps in heaven. In the Old Testament, when it uses the noun zakaron, or the verb zakar, which means to remember. And it doesn't just describe a simple little memory book that gets stored somewhere. These verbs and nouns usually mean that someone is acting on what is being remembered. It's not simply a record kept in a mind, but it describes actions that are done with that information. Now, of course, God doesn't need a scroll to remember who's good and who's bad, but it's a way that Malachi shows us this is something permanent that God does and intentional that God does on behalf of those who faithfully obey him. So we overcome evil in the world by fearing the Lord, but we also overcome evil in the world when we grow in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statues and the ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. And to grow in his word, we need to read his word. And that's what it says here when it says, read the law, uh, remember the law of Moses. The law of Moses describes the Torah, which was Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy, but also could describe the entire Old Testament written, all 30 nine books. Malachi probably wasn't written at that time. So we'll say 38 books that were written is what he's telling them to follow. And to grow in the Lord, we also need to listen to his word taught. A lot of people at this time were not literate. They didn't know how to read. So in order for them to grow, they had to just simply listen to it. And that's okay for us to do too. If we don't read well or don't like to read, it's okay just to listen to God's word read as a way that we grow in our faith. And I know at our church, usually we have a Bible that sits up here that's open as a way to symbolize the fact the Bible is available to everyone and that we usually read it, have someone from the church read it as part of our church service to fulfill this and what it says of how we remember God's word. But to grow in the Lord, we also need to do what it says. We have that remembrance word again here, zakar, which means to remember but it's more than just memory. It implies acting on what is remembered. So to remember the law was to do what it says, he's saying here. And it reminds me of uh, when I was a kid growing up and there were certain days my mom couldn't pick up my little sister from school. So she would say to my dad, Ken, remember you have to pick up Brittany from school today. So what was my mom telling my dad to do? To think in his mind about doing something 
Or was he supposed to get in his car and go pick up my sister? Which often didn't happen because he would forget. And he'd get a phone call, Mr. Scott, your daughter's sitting here and she's wondering if she's going to come. So then my dad just figured out, I'm going to tell my assistant Linda, and Linda always remembered. So we, we got around it. But the, the idea there is there wasn't just knowledge my mom was giving to my dad. There was knowledge with action tied to it that was supposed to be done. Just like here, when we remember God's word, we're supposed to act on it. Another way we overcome evil in this world is we serve the Lord. We read about this in chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. See, emotions are not enough. We can't just say, yes, I follow God, or yeah, I like Jesus, he's cool. There needs to be actions matching those declarations. And this text tells us that our actions are one of the ways that God distinguishes us from the other people. We've read about these people in this passage that are arrogant, um, and we've read about people that fear God. We've read about people that don't do what God says, and others that esteem his name. And that's how God knows the difference, is through their actions. The New Living Translation, I like the way it translates this verse. It says, you will see the difference between these two groups of people. Not because of your words, but because of your deeds. So to overcome evil in the world, we fear the Lord, we grow in the Lord, we serve the Lord, but we also need to look for the Lord and his returning. We see this in chapter 4, verse 2, and in verses 5 and 6, that I'll read all three together. Verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Verse 5 continues, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. This reminds us that earth is not our permanent place. And it reminds us that we have something better waiting for us in the future to look forward to. It's kind of like a vacation that maybe you plan a few months in advance. The vacation you go on for a week is great, but sometimes just the fact that you're stuck in the everyday drudge, the fact that you know something good is coming, kind of makes the day-to-day -day struggles a little bit easier to get through, right? You know two months I'm going to be going on vacation, one month I'm going to the beach, a week I'm going on a hike, whatever that might be. It helps you get through the stuff day-to-day -day when you know you have something to look forward to, and that should help us as believers knowing that we get to have Christ's return and to spend eternity with him should help us as well. And these tell us that we have something good to look forward to. In verse 2, the text describes the sun of righteousness. That sun, S-U-N, will rise with healing in its wings. The people in Malachi's time and in our time can sometimes feel like we're in a dark world where there's no hope, that there's no end to the world's evil and wickedness. 
But when Christ comes and ushers in the future day of the Lord, it will be like sun with its sun rays shooting out like wings, like this passage says, on a dark cloudy day and the clouds break through and you can see that strong sun is the picture here. And the text describes, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. In other words, we will be free. We'll be set free from bondage, from the world, and from those four things I've mentioned earlier about the fall and the role of Satan, about the mistakes of others and the mistakes we make. We'll be set free from those four things that hinder our joy and fellowship with God. And we have signs that show us that he's going to be returning based on verses 5 and 6. And there's a couple of events described here. One is the coming of Elijah, the prophet, who is going to return, where it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet. So Elijah will come first to help prepare things for Christ's second return to the earth. Second, this is going to happen. Elijah will come before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And that will be, that day of the Lord, is when Christ punishes the world at the end of the millennium for its defiance and rejection of him. That's what we get to look forward to. The coming of Elijah and Christ's return to the earth. So as we wrap up our time together, thankfully Richard and Victoria, they're still married, they're still committed to God, and they're still involved in a church. Their faith was strong enough to know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. That bad things happen to good people. And what they went through is terrible. It's hard to even imagine the difficulties they went through in October of 2020. And as we go about our lives this week, we need to remember that bad things still happen to godly people because of the fall, because of Satan's role in the world, Sometimes because of the mistakes other people make, and sometimes even we might make mistakes as well. But our response to those things should be just like these faithful believers in Malachi, that we fear God, that we grow in the Lord, we serve Him, and lastly, we look for His return. Let's pray. God, thanks for allowing us to get to look at this book, um, Malachi, written 2,400 years ago to a small group of people trying to get their lives back together that had tried to follow you but failed and tried to follow you. Thank you for giving us encouragement that um, even if things are going poorly in the world, if we try to be obedient to you and follow you, you're still faithful to watch over us and remember us. And we pray for our church, for Lakeview Missionary Church, for the people that have been through all kinds of pain and suffering and difficulties they've had to endure, uh, that you would strengthen them as they battle through those things now and to help them think through the tough stuff they've been through in the past and prepare them for the difficulties in the future. And we know that there's people that don't even come to church because of these reasons we've talked about. That they, they say, I won't worship a God like that, or how could God allow something like that to happen to me? We pray that our church, that you would 
Help our church to be reconcilers with those people, to show love to them and help point them to you through conversations, even on those topics and with the things we've learned in Malachi. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at this point, I'll invite you to uh, stand if you are able, and I'll read the uh, Advent benediction on hope for today. This benediction was written by Susanna de Benedetto as from a Presbyterian church in Maryland. I thought this was a, a fitting one as we begin the Advent season and today's Sunday being on hope. Be people of hope. Let hope live in your heart and share the hope of Christ with all you meet. Share hope by noticing someone else's humanity. Share hope by listening to someone's story. Share hope by praying for our world. In this Advent season, we need to see, feel, and share hope. As you go out into the wonder of God's creations, share hope with those you meet. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.